morning and welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk. I'm Babs Rose Ivy. I'm delighted to have as a guest this morning, Brianne Braithwaite. And she is an intuitive food coach, intuitive eating coach, intuitive intuitive living coach i love it intuitive living coach all right so so brian welcome tell me about that like what does that mean oh my um so the best way to describe um an intuitive living coach would be someone who helps with self-love and self-trust and becoming your most authentic self um and you use a lot of principles um, that rely on your intuition to do so. So your own thought process, kind of like you are your higher power in a way. Um, you just haven't gotten there yet. Okay. So what you're telling people to do is listen to themselves because you know what's in your best interest. Yes. <laughs> okay. So how did you come to this? Um. So I would say it started when I was really young. I was adopted. And so as an adopted child, I really. I have four I, adopted children. So I, 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 I love the connection here. Yeah. And so like there, it's amazing when you're adopted. Thank you, mom, for that. Um, it's amazing when you're adopted and you have someone that's able to give you that love, even though you're not their biological child. Um, but there is a part of you that feels lost that entire time because you know that you are still connected to whoever those birth parents were biologically, genetically. And so it is kind of hard. And I think navigating that place where I wasn't going to get the answers that I wanted, nor was that accessible to me, I really had to start to trust my inner spirit and who I was as a person, um, despite what teachings I might've had from my family. As you were um, uh, wading through those waters, um, how did you come to intuitive actually being a coach? Like, and what were you doing before? Okay, so I started my journey becoming a registered dietitian. Um, and then throughout that, I started working with eating disorders. And um, I started working with people who, although they came to my office every day as clients needing to trust themselves with food, that kind of started that thought process. Like the entire time that I'm there, I'm giving them these, you know, this meal plan and all of these this advice. But what it really comes down to is them trusting their bodies. And once I saw that process over and over again, I started to think, wow, like, do we trust ourselves? Like, is that something that we all innately do? And I started to look at my life and the ways that I trust myself or didn't trust myself. Um, and that's kind of how that came about. I like that. So what kind of studying do you have to do to do this work? Uh, so to become a registered dietitian, you have to go to a specific program. Um, at the time when I was applying, there were about 50 of those programs in the US. Then you have to do, it's a four-year bachelor degree. Then you have to go into, well, now it's required to do a master's, but you go into a year unpaid internship where you learn all the areas 
of becoming a dietitian because there's so many. Um, and then you take an exam. And then once you pass that exam, you are a registered dietitian. Um, and then after that, I continued my education with my life coaching certificate. Um, and that's when I started to formulate what kind of coach I wanted to be. Um, and that's how we got to the intuitive living coach. Mm-hmm. And what is it about intuitive living that speaks to you? Like why, why? Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of paths and a lot of roads to nutrition and health and wellness. What was it about intuitiveness that stood out for you? Um, I think it was really when I realized that we know so much and sometimes we don't even have access to it. Like there have been so many situations in my life where I thought, oh man, I can't do this. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I was forced to go into those situations anyway. And I came out relatively unscathed and I was like, wow, okay. So like, there is a part of me that knows more than even I cognitively can recall in that moment. And that is very powerful. And I started to lean into that. And it's brought me so much joy and happiness and freedom. Um, and that's kind of how I got there. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you uh, take on clients, what's the first thing that happens? What does that process look like? So the first thing that happens is um, I have a 30 minute discovery call just to make sure that this is something that they want to go. Like this process is the process that they want. It's going to meet their needs. Um, I really, truly believe in allowing people to kind of make their own decisions and also hear what can be offered. Um, And then from there, where my coaching and like the platform for my coaching is my intuitive living framework, which is comprised of 10 principles. Um, And those principles serve as guides on how to trust yourself more have more freedom and be your most authentic self. Mm-hmm. And so um, who do you, are, 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 is this a, a, an opportunity for men and women or do you primarily see women? Interestingly, I see both. I, I think that um, I, I feel like with, with men, sometimes there are barriers to engaging in mental health. Um, services, um, societal barriers, um, and then depending on your culture and your race, there are other barriers. And so I think that slowly the barriers are starting to be broken down. People are starting to have these conversations. Um, And so it brings me joy when someone who does have barriers is able to come and say, I want this for myself. Um, That means that the change is, is, is working. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, what do you want to see happen with intuitive wellness into the future? Um, I hope that other people really start to use this framework um, to, you know, navigate through their lives or even other coaches start to use this framework um, because it really is a framework that only comes from my lived experience. Um, and I think that everyone's lived experience is so important and it's so much for other people to kind of like look into that. And it's really intentional as well. It's, it's intentionally made so that people can have that kind of freedom. 
Mm. And this isn't just about eating. Like this sounds like your whole life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think one of the principles on this framework is a 10th principle. Um, and that's heal your relationship with food. And I think that's where it started for me. I think it was in that place that I found that there was a lot of self-doubt for people who struggled with their relationships with food. And as a dietitian, that was my primary concern. But then I started to think of other parts of our lives that we struggle in, in that way. Um, and that was really important for me to incorporate. I didn't want this just to be, you know, a dietitian talking about eating. I wanted this to be a person who is intentional about putting authenticity into the world. Well, I love that. So did you have an eating disorder or eating problem or did you not have a good relationship with food? So I thought I had a great relationship with food. I really did. I, somebody could have asked me years ago, I'd be like, yep, great relationship. I'm a dietitian. And once I started working at my eating disorder treatment centers, I realized, okay, we got some work to do too. Like we don't need to necessarily be at this level of care, but there are a lot of fundamental things that I am now teaching these people. Um, and I might not even fully recognize have been in my life as well. So that was a really transformative process. Um, and like, give me an example of what that, what that looks like. Like, so, what, did, what, what did you notice that came up for you that you're like, oh, I'm way closer to this than I thought. <laughs> so it, it, it was one of the things that was, it was like this, this good versus bad food mentality. Oh, um, and when that came up for me, I'm, I'm as a dietitian saying all foods fit. Um, and I realized that when I really thought about it, some questions came up, right? Because when dealing with eating disorders, you also have to field the questions from the eating disorder thoughts. And I realized that at that time, when I first started out, I didn't have food freedom. There were some foods that I would avoid, even though they, to me, tasted great and they brought me joy. I would always say, oh, I can't trust myself with that. Like, I can't have a whole oh, okay. in my house. Like, I can't have a whole tub of ice cream in my freezer. I'm just going to eat it all. And, and if I eat it all, then that's going to be bad. And if that's bad, then that makes me bad. So, like, I'm going to go and buy these quinoa encrusted chips that I really don't like and don't satisfy <laughs> me at all. And I'm going to put these here and I probably won't touch them out of the basis of I don't like them. But in, you know, in that, that, that place where like I realize, oh, I might want a potato chip or this is what I'm going to use instead. And nine times out of 10, I would have a bowl of that. I would sit there for about 15 minutes. I would walk down to the corner store and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to need a bag of chips, a cookie, and all of these things. And those things aren't even bad, like inherently bad. But I think what it was, was it was denying myself trust that I could have what I needed to be satisfied. Right. And I could move on with my life as opposed to thinking about it or internalizing it as something bad. And so that was like one of the first things that I started to notice. I was like, oh, we got to change that. Wow. And we do it. Everybody does it. 
particularly when you get on these diets, we start judging food and our relationship to the food. If I yeah. eat that, I'm if I eat that bad thing, I'm cheating on myself or I'm being bad. And this this whole dynamic. And then it's very yeah. cyclical. Yeah. And that that kind of works into like the first principle um, that I created in the framework, which is unconditional permission. Mm-hmm. We're so conditioned at an early age to ask for permission. Um, and as we grow up, we continue to ask for permission by society, people around us. We look for that structure. Um, and we sometimes can reduce ourselves or our identities to our jobs, how much money we make, what we look like. Um, and we consistently compare ourselves to each other. And the secret to being able to have a bag of potato chips in your house is having a bag of potato chips in your house because you stop that cycle of it being this thing where, you know, I have to do things this way. I can't do things that way. Um, I mean, that's really the first step of intuitive living, like taking control and allowing yourself permission to be everything that you are, to eat whatever it is that you want and build a balance within yourself with all of those things. Mm. Well, I can hear people say, yeah, that's, that's good to say, but if I get those chips in my house, I'm going to eat the whole bag, you know, and then I'm going to feel terrible. (laughs) Maybe it takes eating the whole bag because what does that even mean? Right? Like maybe it takes, if I, if I came to you every day with like 12 donuts and I was like, look, every day I'm going to bring you 12 donuts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like you'd be like, uh, I don't really know if I want to be a part of this, but okay, Brie, I'll humor you anyway. Um, and then at some point you'd be like, oh man, I don't really want donuts. Like you might see donuts a couple of weeks later and you're like, no, nope, no, nope, I don't, I don't want donuts. Like I know they're there. They're accessible. I had them for a straight week. Like we don't need to do this right now. <laughs> and it's because when you allow yourself that permission, eventually all of that, the, the pedestal that you're putting these things on or the, you know, place you're putting them in this untouchable area, it just becomes yet another thing. Yet another thing that you buy at the grocery store. Yet another thing you can eat at home. Okay. I mean, I, I like the sound of this. I, I get it. You know, I get it. I get it. So so what else did you notice? What else? What else did you as you were making this journey, what else did you notice about your relationship to food? Um, I think one of the things that I've noticed, um, and it kind of goes into principle number two of the framework, which was connecting with your feelings. Um, I realized that being able to have a process where you could connect with your feelings um, was really important. Just because some people I know in, in my, my regard, when I'm feeling scared or when I'm, when I'm anxious, I don't necessarily eat. Um, I kind of like have that response. Like I don't mm-hmm. feel hungry. And I realize that sometimes just because I'm not feeling that way doesn't mean I, I still don't like nourish my body in any way. Um, and because of that, I wanted a better way to connect with my feelings. So I started to go to therapy and I learned a lot about myself. Um, 
And in that, I learned the way to connect with past trauma, how to have coping mechanisms for that trauma, um, and how to process my feelings and my emotions so that I wasn't impacting the way that I eat. Mm. And so how does this play out in the rest of your life? Does this make the rest of your life better or wider or what does it do? Um, I think having like goals to connect to your, to your feelings, which I, I feel like are really like the language of the soul. Um, those, those goals, um, I realized maybe a year ago, I didn't have great boundaries. Um, I was very much a people pleaser and I needed to kind of break down why that was and look into why that was. And with that, when I was confronted with a situation that would have in any other way triggered that I need to please everybody. I need to be everything for everyone at all times. Um, I was able to say, wait, 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 wait. You used to be this kind of person. And, and you did this because it was a mechanism that served an actual purpose for you at some point in your life, but it's not serving you now. And so that's the difference. When you're able to connect with your feelings, you're able to access unique capabilities in your creative and intuitive and soulful nature. nature and that allows you to kind of not repeat the same cycle of maybe dealing with feelings in the way that you had previously. And it does make your life better. It's made my life better. It's taken a lot of pressure off of me to be everything that everybody else would want me to be or I presume to be. It's allowed mm. me to just be me and be okay with that. I like that. So what's the fourth principle? Um, the fourth principle is embracing the three S's, um, slow, silence, and self-reflection. Um, I think intuition lays um, in the space between our wandering thoughts and the stress caused by our busy lives. Um, and that space requires you to make time to ground yourself daily. And in a place where we have technology, which is basically by our side at every time, every point in the day, there's a ping here, there's an email there, there's new Instagram posts. It's really hard not to be in a virtual space all the time um, or even have time alone. I noticed I'd be waiting online for something and it might be the only like five minutes of the day I'm not consumed with something. And my first reaction is to go on my phone and scroll. And I'm like, what is, what am I, what is this? Like, how, what, what are we doing? Um, and I started to, to see the ways in which that integrated into my life. And I was like, I don't know if this is helpful all the time. And I started yeah. to question why I couldn't sit in silence for five minutes. And did you answer it? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I couldn't sit in silence for five minutes is because I didn't know what silence was. I didn't realize that that was wow. a that you could have power. I thought that if everything moved every day, all the time, and I was achieving things constantly, I was on the right track. But nobody ever said, you know what? I think we should all sit in silence and just be. I've never had that said to me. Except for maybe the quiet game in preschool was one of the 
I don't think that was for me. I think that was for the teacher. You know, I think they were like, we've had enough of this today, these children. But yes, that, that really, when I realized what that was, and I realized that it wasn't even just sitting in silence, right? Like now when I have conversations with people, I can listen better because I'm okay with not being the one inserting dialogue. Um, you know, like if I'm, if I'm having, you know, an argument with someone and I want to stand in my opinion, maybe I don't have to be the, the loudest one. Maybe I say what I need to say and I sit in that. I sit in that silence and that silence is me reinforcing, hey, I, this, is, this is my, my place. Um, so silence and slowing down and self-reflection allows for downtime that I don't think is really accessible all the time now. Mm. That's a good point. And so did you find that five minutes turned into 10 minutes, turned into 30 minutes, turned into 40 minutes? Like, how far did you go? How far, how long can you be in the silence? And, 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 and was that a goal too? Um, the goal for silence, I think we've gotten up to 30 minutes. Um, and I think it just depends on like my day and what's going on. But I think that like, even if it was just like a deep breath and like taking refuge in that silence and being like, okay, today's a busy day. I have several things to do, but I need to breathe because I'm obviously at the point of like all over the place. Um, but then it goes to, okay, I'm going to sit. I'm going to lay here. I'm going to focus on my breathing and I'm going to really take this time to just kind of block out my thoughts. And I think when you come back from that, you feel a sense of refreshment. Um, and I feel like that comes from what most people would say, like a vacation is, or, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I went to a spa, you know? I think that's, that's another thing. Um, going to a spa and just having that, that moment, if that's accessible to you, or even just recreating that in your own home, you know? I like it. All right, so what's, what's uh, we probably won't get to all 10, but let's get to number five. Is it five or six? Are we at five? It's five. We skipped three, but it's okay. We're at five. Um, <laughs> principle number five is be intentional. Um, hmm. I think intuitive thoughts are very blunt and they're quick and they're to the point and they're very fast. Um, and some of the intuitive intuitive thoughts I've had over the years are like, I'll be on a street, I have no idea where I am. And something will just say, turn right. And normally the impulse is to be like, that's not right. So we turn left. And then we get down the street, we're like, oh man, I was here before. Like I knew it, I should have turned right. And like that turn right, that's your, your intuition. Or maybe you're at a party and you're like, eh, I think it's time to leave. And for whatever the reason is you left and maybe you get home and your friend texts you and they're like, Hey, so something crazy happened at the party. And you're like, eh, I wasn't there for it. I left. <laughs> and you can't really, it's not something that you can like, um, explore different options or really even like reason with. Um, but, it, but it's something that you just know, it's like what you have to do in that moment. And then mm -hmm. if we ignore it, we encounter something called hindsight which is interesting to me because that's like, you kind of, you're like, oh, if I'd just done what I thought I should have done, it would have been different, right? And hindsight to me is like the antithesis of intuition. I like that. Okay. 
Um, and and how long do you dwell in hindsight? Because I can imagine people could get stuck thinking about, oh, what I could have, should have, did, done, didn't do. Yeah. Um, hindsight can turn into regret. Regret mm. can turn into a really long standing battle with yourself. And it's really like not forgiving yourself. Um, it's kind of like what I've noticed. Like if I don't forgive myself for something, I'll keep like my, my, my punishment is to keep bringing it up to myself and to keep putting me in this position to having, to having to think about it or, you know, minimally defend myself in whatever that dialogue sounds like. Um, but yeah, I think when you're intentional, I think when you're upfront about what it is that you want, or even if you're upfront about saying, I don't know what I want, I'm just here. Um, mm. that, that allows, that, that, that cuts out a lot, a lot of the noise. Um, and with that intention, you get farther, you know? Um, you get farther with your goals, you get farther with your dreams, you get farther with your friendships because you're like, I might not have like a list of exactly why I need to be here, but I feel that I need to be here. And so I'm here and this is the moment for what it is and it will reveal itself in time, it always does. Um, I think like being able to trust in that way. I like that. I like that. I like hindsight can turn into regret. That's pretty powerful. All right. So, so, so you walk people through these principles. Number six would be honesty. Oh, I can't wait to hear what you say about this. Um, so acknowledging this part of you that you can't see and you don't completely understand um, is about being real with yourself. And so you know, if you're not real with the people around you, you're not real with yourself. Like if you're hiding something from someone, if you feel like you can't be who you authentically are, I would say to change friends. But also I would say that part of you that doesn't feel the space of, or doesn't have that space of vulnerability, right? You can't tell a lie and live your truth those things aren't congruent. Um, and so honesty allows you to really accept some of the things you can't understand about yourself and allow yourself to build a better relationship with that. Hmm. And so do you see people struggle with the honesty piece? Yep. Uh, sometimes I'll have people who will say, um, I don't love myself. And then they'll Ooh. find this incredible partner who will pour all the love they've ever needed into them. They'll be there for them. Um, and at some point they'll say, I don't deserve this. And if the partner is a people pleaser, like I used to be, they'll be like, oh no, no, you totally deserve this. Here, take everything. Um, <laughs> or or it'll come to the point where it's like, well, I can't help you with what you're deserving, um, but that's an interesting thought that you're not being honest. You're, you're not able to really love someone else until you can love yourself. Um, and so that's part of that honesty. 
Like if you hate things about yourself and you haven't been able to rectify that, how can you look at someone else with the same qualities and love them for those? Mm. Wow. So this sounds, this sounds like some very, this sounds therapeutic work has to be done here. You know, like this is not just superficial things. This is, this is a good excavation of yourself. Does it feel that way? Oh, it felt that way. <laughs> it felt that way. It felt that way for a couple of years. It really did feel that way. Um, while I was um, figuring out what these principles were, were like, it, this is not an easy process, um, which is why we have that phone call. And I'm very transparent. I'm like, look, there are going to be some things that make you really uncomfortable. But if you're uncomfortable, you're growing. Mm. If you mm. can tap into that. So I, I like this a lot because it's really, it's not just talking about food. It's talking about all the other things that cause you to have this, this complicated relationship with food. Yeah. At least that's how I'm seeing it. I think because I'm a registered dietitian, everyone's like, oh, well, where did this start from? And I will say there is... um Another framework out there, I was made by two dietitians. It's called intuitive eating. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it does go through some similar steps. I do not think it is the same though. Um, and the part where it differs is really the dive into the authentic self piece. And so I guess I am in this transition. Um, I will always be a dietitian. I hold that credential. I did what I had to do, but I, I, I do find myself leaning more on the side of um, intuitive living, authenticity. And I think this framework was kind of like, you started in a place where you saw a problem and you kept working at it and you kept chipping away. You kept going until you got to a place where you are now, which is um, in this intuitive living and authenticity space. Um, And that, is where I am. I like it. Well, it's been my pleasure to talk to you, Brienne. I'm so glad. Oh, here. Thank you, Harry, for putting up her uh, her website so that uh, people can reach out. And it's up on the Facebook page, too. Um, yeah. So I, I like this. I hope you come back and and, and talk some more about, about uh, you know, this intuitive living. I think it's just the right sort of I think everybody is searching for something these days and they're trying to find something that's authentic, that, that doesn't restrict them and allows them to, you know, become their better selves. So this seems like this is right on the path of that. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Cause I'm like, you know, trust your intuition, trust yourself, you know, like don't, don't look for the, the new diet. Don't look for the new, like self, you have it. Everybody has it, you know? Um, (laughs) I thank you so much and I'm so incredibly grateful. I would love to come back whenever we can. Um, And if anyone wants to learn more about the principles, I posted a blog today that kind of has a little tidbit on each one. Um, Yeah, and this was was great. This is made my honest. Well, I'm so glad you you kicked off my week on the right note. I, I, I can't begin to tell you how divine this is that you start my week as we move into the next month 
as I get ready for, you know, new things. Um, this just, this just helps frame. This is, this is like a, a, a blessing and a gift to frame out the way I'm thinking. And you just articulated it beautifully. So thank you for that. And, uh, and I look forward to talking to you again, Brianne. Absolutely. I look forward to talking to you as well. And I'll see you around. I'll see you around. I will see you in a beautiful red gown. Can I share that story quickly? Yeah, yes, go ahead. Okay, so I was at the Arts and Ideas Gala and I saw this beautiful person in this gorgeous red dress and it was you. And I was like, who's that? I love that dress. And I was, I was like blown away and everyone had really nice dresses, but for that, for some reason, this particular dress did it for me. And I was like, something about, something about her, this dress. Well, well, thank you very much. I appreciate, (laughs) I appreciate that. I appreciate it greatly. (laughs) Thank you. All right. So uh, have a good week, truly. You too. All right. Thank you, Harry. I'll see you tomorrow. Goodbye, everybody. Y'all have a good uh, rest of your day. Thank you.